I know. So the entire purpose of this series is to um, go through some stories in the Bible, um, a lot of Old Testament stories, and just kind of show you guys um, these really big and great things that God um, does in the Bible. And there are some really wild stories if you get in your Old Testament and, and read it. The Bible is not a boring book. There are some parts of the Bible that are rough to get through. I'm talking about the begats. If anybody's been reading their Bible and you see those passages that are like eight pages of like, so-and-so begat so-and-so and had a son named so-and-so, and it's like all this lineage, that's not the part I'm talking about. But the Bible as a whole is an exciting book, and there's all kinds of stories in it that, um, even though it's the Old Testament, still apply to our life today, and we can still bring it through into the New Covenant and apply it to our everyday life. And so that's been the purpose of this series so far. Um, I really enjoyed everyone's message, and we're going to wrap it up tonight. No safety nets. Somebody say amen. Amen. Okay. So. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to read us a little Bible passage, and um, you guys can just kind of listen along. I'm going to partially read it, and I'm going to partially add my own commentary into it, because um, it is kind of long. So I'll paraphrase some parts just so we can get through it. But to give you guys some context, this is in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. And what's going on here is Israel has this king named Ahab, and um, a lot of people know um, of Ahab's wife, her name was Jezebel, not a super savory character um, from the Bible, real um, bad lady. Um, turns out her husband Ahab, also not so great. And what had happened was, as the king of Israel, he was given to idolatry and worshiping false gods and steering the nation that way, and that was really getting the country in trouble. And so Elijah, who was a prophet and who was a man of God, um, is essentially coming to confront him about it and try to get things back on track, try to get the nation and uh, God's people back on track. And so that's where we come in. Essentially, somebody has gone out and set up a meeting between King Ahab and Elijah. Here we are, verse 17. It says, the moment that Ahab saw Elijah, he said, <laughs> so it's you, old troublemaker, which... That first verse really sets the tone for how this entire story is going to go because there's a lot of trash talking. And this is the New Living Translation, so it's even spicier. It says, It is not I who has caused trouble in Israel, said Elijah, but you and your government, you've dumped God's ways and commandments and run off after the local gods, the Baals. And here's what I want you to do. Assemble everyone in Israel at Mount Carmel and make sure that the special pets of Jezebel, the 450 prophets of the local gods, the Baals, and the 400 prophets of the goddess Asherah are there. So this is about to be a showdown, and I'm not going to lie, that was a censored reading. I left a little bit of it out. You can look it up in your own private time. Um, but this story is wild. I love Elijah. He's wild. So verse 20, Ahab summons everyone in Israel, especially the prophets, and they all meet at this mountain, Mount Carmel. And Elijah challenges the people and says, how long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds, a.k.a. quit living or living 
a double life, quit trying to have it both ways, don't have a foot in each camp, make up your mind. And it says, nobody said a word and nobody made a move because they probably heard how he called out King Ahab and they weren't trying to get a piece of it. And then Elijah said, I'm the only prophet of God left in Israel. There are 450 prophets of Baal. So let them bring up two oxen, let them pick one, butcher it, lay it out on an altar of firewood, but don't ignite it. I'll take the other ox, I'll cut it out, I'll lay it out, so on and so forth, but I also won't light a fire. You pray to your God, I'll pray to my God. Whoever answers with fire will be proven to be the real God. And all the people say, good plan, do it. And Elijah told the prophets, so choose your ox, prepare it, you go first, there's more of you guys. Pray to your gods, but don't light the fire. So essentially he sets up this battle to prove who the real God is, and he's got all the people of Israel there to see. And so they took the ox, these 450 prophets, they take the ox, they prepared it for the altar, and they prayed to Baal. And they prayed all morning long, Oh, Baal, answer us. But nothing happened, not so much as a whisper of a breeze. Desperate, they jumped and stomped on the altar that they had made. Verse 27. We good? Everybody with me? JC? Okay. 27. By noon, Elijah had started making fun of them, again with the trash talk, taunting, call a little louder. He's a god after all. Maybe he's off meditating somewhere, or maybe he's gotten involved in a project, or maybe he's on vacation. You don't think he's overslept, do you? And he needs to be woken up? And it's not in the NLT, but one version says, is he in the bathroom? So Elijah's coming in strong with the trash talk, which I love about this story. So the prophets, they're like, okay, he's making us look dumb. So they prayed louder and louder, and they started cutting themselves with swords and knives. And it says it was a ritual that was common to them until they were covered in blood. And this went on well past noon. And they used every religious trick and strategy they knew to make something happen on the altar. But nothing happened, not so much as a wicker, a wicker, a whisper or flicker of response. Also no wicker. Um, and JC said amen. <laughs> he did. Come on, JC, help me. I said the wrong word. I need you to say amen. He said, okay, that's close enough to amen. All right, so the prophets of Baal look like idiots now because they've done all this. They spent hours and hours the whole morning, past noon. They're cutting themselves. They're stomping. They're throwing fits. Nothing's happening. So then Elijah tells the people, okay, enough of that. It's my turn. Gather around. And he puts the altar back together, for by now it was in ruins because of all the stomping. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each tribe of Jacob, the same Jacob whom God said, now your name is Israel, yada, yada. He built the stones into an altar in honor of God, and then he dug a wide trench around the altar. He laid firewood on the altar, cut up the ox, put it on the wood, and said, fill four buckets of water and drench the ox and the firewood, because now he's flexing a little bit. He says, do it again, and they did it. And then he said, no, you know what, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So now the altar was drenched, and the trench around the altar is filled with water. And it was time for the sacrifice to be offered. And Elijah the prophet came up and prayed, O oh God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I'm doing what is under your orders. Answer me, God. Answer me and reveal to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you are giving these people another chance at repentance. 
Immediately, the fire of God fell and burned up the offering, the wood, the stones, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. And all of the people who saw it fell on their faces in awe and worship, exclaiming, God is the true God. God is the true God. And then, to wrap everything up, Elijah told them, grab the prophets of Baal. Don't let any of them get away. And so they grabbed the prophets, and Elijah had them taken down to the brook Kishon, and they massacred them all. Somebody say amen. amen. I love this story um, for so many reasons. Um, so uh, what I really, what I want to talk about, a couple things about this story, but what I love the most about what Elijah does is he puts himself in a situation where he doesn't have a safety net or a backup plan. He puts himself in a situation where if God doesn't come through for him, he's going to die. And he's not just kind of timidly doing it. He's doing it boldly, and he's trash-talking, and he's so sure, and he's very confident. And God comes through for him, but he puts himself in a position to where he doesn't have a backup plan or a plan B or a safety net. He puts himself in a situation where he's trusting God with his literally his life. And um, I was thinking about this story and bringing it into application in our lives. And I can say this for myself, and I'm sure that we could all say this, that we don't put ourselves in situations like that because those are uncomfortable situations. But we don't put ourselves in situations where we don't have a safety net, you know, or where we're um, really not leaving ourselves an option except for God. Um, it's easy for us, especially as Christians and in this church and in this country, we can build ourselves safety nets through a lot of different means and not fully rely on God. But even risking not just our lives, but risking something as small as like embarrassment or popularity or status, whatever you think you're risking by putting yourselves in situations where God is um, able to work through you. And um, I remember this time and um, I had this job uh, working for a um, essentially telemarketing company. It was a terrible job, um, and I didn't last there very long at all. I was terrible at it. But I remember this time I was at work, and there was this lady that <clears throat> was sitting next to me, and you have these tiny little cubes, and you have your little headset, and you make your calls and get yelled at. And um, so this lady sitting next to me, she keeps talking about, man, I hurt my ankle over the weekend. I really hurt my ankle. It's swollen up. I can't really walk on it right. She's talking about it all day, and in my head I'm like, okay, shut up, like, I get it, stop whining, like, I'm just trying to, like, work here and mind my own business and then get out of here. But the more she talked about it, the more that I felt like I was supposed to pray for her ankle. And, you know, in my head, I was like, nah, like, I'm here to work, I'm trying to make these important calls, um, <laughs> you know, I don't really want to say anything to her because she's kind of getting on my nerves because she's kind of a whiner about it. Um, but I knew I was supposed to pray for her. And really the reason that I didn't is because I was embarrassed. I was, you know, I didn't want to be that guy that's like, God will heal your, heal your ankle, let me pray for it. Um, for some reason, because I don't know why I would be embarrassed about that. Like, I didn't even know this lady. I was at that job for like two months. But I let embarrassment stop me from stepping out, and I could have helped her. I could have prayed for her ankle, and um, I didn't. 
And, you know, I've never forgotten that because that's not a good feeling that you have afterwards when you know you could have helped somebody. But I didn't step out and give God an opportunity to work because I was afraid of embarrassment or the thought of, like, what if I pray for it and, like, nothing happens and then she thinks I'm dumb. Instead of having the faith saying, if I pray for it and it gets healed and then I could later on lead her to Christ or at the very least her life is improved because her ankle feels better. And so I've never forgotten that because... I could have stepped out and put myself in a situation where God could have come through for me and God could have done something great for this lady. And because I was afraid of embarrassment, that didn't happen. And so a lot of times I think that it's easy to be in that situation where we don't want to step out and we don't want to risk embarrassment. We really don't want to um, give God the opportunity to work through us for whatever reason. And um, we can put that scripture from Ephesians up. Um, and it says, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And this is a really popular scripture, but I think that it, um, it helps you to kind of understand some perspective on this because God's power is in you and he will answer your prayers and he is faithful to back you up when you put yourself on the line. And that's something that's important to remember when you're stepping out and giving God an opportunity to work. You're not stepping out in your own strength and you're not stepping out like if I'm not enough and this is going to fail. No, you have the power of God in you and that's never going to fail. And so when you're stepping out and trusting God and letting him be your safety net, then you're never going to fail. There's no, um, you know, well, what if it doesn't work? What if I'm embarrassed? No, God comes through. God um, will back up what he says in his word every single time. And so um, we have an opportunity to put ourselves in a similar situation as Elijah did every day. Amen? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I'm sorry. So we have the opportunity to make challenges, just like Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal, the, the, the gods of this world, the gods of um, other nations, he challenged them and said, I will bet you that my God is more powerful than your God. My God is more powerful than whatever you think is the most powerful thing. <clears throat> and we have the opportunity to challenge things and that we come across in our everyday life at school or wherever it is, whether it's sickness or depression or um, lust or anger, all of these different things, we have the power to challenge that and to have the victory over that if we're willing to step out and make the challenge just like Elijah did. Um, and, you know, it's not that there aren't other things that are powerful, because if you notice in the story, <clears throat> um, you know, Ahab and he's the um, prophets of Baal, they're serving these gods, and the gods that they served had power um, because living on this earth, it's under the control of the devil who is the god of this world. And there are fallen spirits that do have power in this world. And, you know, even in verse 28, it says that their ritual was something that was common to them. So this is something that they had done before and they wouldn't keep doing it if it hadn't been successful. So these are, you know small g, gods, fake gods, but gods that still have power in this earth. And just like there are other things that have power in this earth, but when Elijah showed up with the one true God on his side, those gods were completely powerless. 
And in the same way, just that there are other things that are powerful in this world, and we don't call them maybe by the same names or build statues to them, but those forces are still at work in this world, sickness and depression and anger and all of these different things. But if we show up, we still have the power of the one true God that is working in us, and it's more powerful than any other of these issues that we would come in contact with, just like God is more powerful than the fake gods of the Old Testament that these prophets were serving. And so that's, um, you can put up uh, 1 John up on the screen. In 1 John 4, it says that we belong to God, and it says at the end that the spirit that lives in us is greater than the spirit that's in the world. And it's talking about the power of God that we have as Christians and as believers and promising us that whatever we come against, whatever we put ourselves up against and challenge in this world, that the power that's in us is greater than that and that we're going to overcome that every time. But you don't overcome it if you don't put yourself in that situation to challenge it. <clears throat> Amen? Amen. So, I'm sorry, I'm really thirsty tonight. I also got really hot because it was really toasty in here and I was wearing a hoodie and I didn't want to take it off. Amen. So, like I said earlier, I love this story for a lot of reasons. And another reason that I love this story so much is because of Elijah and his mouth and how heavy he came with the trash talk from the very beginning of the story. And um, I'm a person who has been prone to throw a little trash talk around in my day. Um, I used to play sports. I know, but I did. I used to play basketball, and I used to play um, on these leagues, like the YMCA or at Graceland. <clears throat> and I was very bad, always the worst person on my team, literally always. And nobody's surprised to hear that. But I always had big trash talk. And what would happen is I would come in contact with people from other teams, and sometimes it was the stumblers, and I would be like, you guys are going to lose. You're terrible. You have no chance. We're going to stomp you today. And I would have no way to back it up because I'm literally so terrible. And they'd be like, okay, dude, you're the worst basketball player we've ever seen in um, our lives. But that never stopped me from trash talking. That's kind of a tangent. But the difference between me and God there's only one. No, I'm just kidding. There's a lot of them. <laughs> but the thing is that God can back up any, what he says in his word. And it's not trash talk when God talks. When he says something, he's not just boasting or he's not just saying something empty like I was saying when I told Haas that I could beat him in basketball. God can back up every single thing that he says in his word. And when Elijah came in contact with the enemy, he said those things very boldly. And he was very confident that his God was going to back him up. And he was trash talking, but when it's with God and when it's the power of God and you have him on your side, then that's not empty. That's not something that you can't follow through on. That's something that's going to work every time. And just the way that Elisha hypes up God is so cool in this story. And I think a lot of times it would, you know, again, we, we, we hype up a lot of things. We're quick a lot of times to hype things up. Um, dumb things, things that aren't important, you know, oh, this, you know, the new sneaker coming out is whatever, or uh, this new restaurant is so good, this new band is so good, um, you know, we're quick to hype a lot of things up, but when it comes to God, why don't we have that same 
passion to hype him up like we would, you know, a new restaurant or a new band that we discovered. God's way more important than any of those things, and God's more powerful and more impactful than any of those things. But a lot of times we don't want to hype him up like the great God that he is and like the powerful God that he is and like he doesn't have the power to literally fix anybody's problem that they're facing on the entire planet. But we come in contact with people and we're like, oh, are you depressed? Bro, but I found this dope band and they're really sad. And if you listen to them, probably help you with your depression, though. But all right, thoughts and prayers, though. And then you throw that in right quick at the end so you're a good Christian and you throw thoughts and prayers in. But no, we should be the first people to hype up the power of God and to say, no, if you're dealing with depression, talk, like, you know, let me pray with you. Let me give you some scriptures. Let God help you. Just like Elisha. This story, I really love this story. I'm going to keep telling you guys how much I love this story. Um, but just the way that he reps God is, you know, is something that I think we could all take some note of, right? Amen, J-Rod. Anyway, so we um, should be putting ourselves as Christians in situations that gives God the opportunity to work through us like he worked through Elijah, whether that be with your family, your friends at school. <clears throat> you shouldn't just, you know, be living like everybody else and acting like you don't have the answer like everybody else because you do have the answer. But if you never put your situ yourself in a situation to let God do big things, then he's never going to do big things through you. And all throughout the Bible, as you've seen in this series, God likes to do big things. That scripture said he likes to do above and beyond what we ask because he's got the power. He loves us. He's good. So he likes to do things for us. He likes to show off. He likes to flex and go ab above and beyond. Um, like in the story, he didn't just, it wasn't just he set the ox on fire. No, it was they doused it in water and they filled up a trench with water and the fire came down and it didn't just burn the ox it burned up the water and the stones and the altar and it says it burned up the dirt dirt isn't even flammable i don't know how you burn dirt but god burned dirt up <clears throat> it rocks stones stones aren't flammable you ever try to light a rock on fire doesn't work but god did it because that's above and beyond god's an above and beyond god and just like he came through above and beyond for elijah when you put yourself in a situation without a backup plan, without a safety net, then he gets a chance to show what his power can do and not just what your strength can do. And like I said, it's easy to have a safety net and a plan B. You know, we live in America. We go, you know, this is a nice church. And, you know, if you get sick, it's easy to, like, say, oh, God, I pray that you would heal me and then pop a couple Tylenol and go on with your life. Or if you need money, you know, you can take out a loan or get a credit card or ask your parents for money and, you know, believe God and, you know, pray. But it's like, yeah, but if, but if God doesn't come through, like, I'll just ask my mom for some money. Or if, like, if, if I don't feel better, if he doesn't heal me by tomorrow, I'll just, like, take some Mucinex and then, like, we'll get on with things. Or I'll go to the hospital and <clears throat> that'll work. You know, it's, it's really easy. And that's not a bad thing necessarily because we live really good lives and for the most part comfortable lives but it also um it makes it easy for us to not fully rely on god like we would not make it without him it's easy to kind of 
trick ourselves into thinking like, no, I'd probably be all right without God. And maybe we would never say that out loud, but it, we would live that way maybe. We're not fully relying on him because there are all these other safety nets. But I want to challenge you guys and encourage you guys to begin to step out more. And you don't have to do something that's going to put your life on the line and, you know, risk your life like Elijah did. <clears throat> but risk something. What kind of life is it doing absolutely nothing with any risk for God? If there's not, you know, no risk, no reward. It's true. If you're not stepping out and risking anything, then you're not really giving God a chance to show what he can do. And you're going to miss out on helping a lot of people, just like I missed out on helping that lady that I used to work with. And I regret that. And I still remember that was years ago, and I remember it. But stepping out and putting yourself in that situation and being vocal and, you know, really not being ashamed to talk about God or to put yourself in a situation where you ask God for something big. I mean, God does impossible. Steve talked about it last week. God stopped the sun. That's not possible. But God did it. God does impossible things throughout the entire Bible and is still doing impossible things today. But he does impossible things for people who pray impossible prayers and ask him to do those things. If you don't ask him to do it, he's not going to do it. The Bible says that you have not because you ask not. But when you really start to take God seriously and say, okay, I believe that he can do these big things that he says he can do and he will do, and you start stepping out in faith and acting on that, you're going to start seeing results and you're going to start seeing God move in a new and a bigger way in your life. And you're going to be able to not just have your life improve, but help the people that are around you and people that would maybe otherwise not have an answer or not have a way out of situations that they're in. <clears throat> so I want to encourage you guys to keep that in mind and think about how you can apply that in your life, whether it's somebody at school or somebody you work with or maybe a family member, somebody you know. Start asking God, even for things in your personal life. Start asking God for bigger things. Start praying bigger prayers. And don't, you don't have to immediately jump to something wild, but do it step by step. Maybe instead of, you know, believing God for $20, step it up to 50 Maybe, you know, ask him to, um, you know, pray for somebody that you know is going through something. Maybe share him with somebody and give them some scriptures. Start giving him opportunities, and you can start, like Caitlin said, start today. Start taking small steps, and, you can, and that will build and build your faith, and you'll start seeing God move a lot more in your life. Amen? I hope that... This was encouraging to you guys. Thank you so much for coming and listening. Don't forget January.